Hey, everybody. Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. Wanted to let you all know there's plenty of time to participate in the 2021 Candy Benchmark Research Program. And while there's no deadline to start participating in our Benchmark Research Program this year, there is a deadline to finish, and that's August 31st. We've also got so many great events coming up, virtual conferences, workshops, webinars, lots of recruiting, hiring, and candidate experience resources on our website as well at thetalentboard.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We've moved beyond just the job to be done of assessing a candidate and we're getting more into how do we increase their engagement and advocacy? How can we be a really strong moment of truth inside the recruiting process? How can we help candidates learn about the job, about the culture, about the interview process? You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Sam Whiteman, head of solutions at SHL, providing deep people insights to predict and drive workforce performance and a proud candy sponsor. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting in the business bottom line. Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us all a little bit more about who you are and what you do today? Great, Kevin. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Sam Whiteman. I lead Talent Acquisition Solutions at SHL. So where our customers are solving uh, recruiting problems, uh, then me and my team lead the solutions that they use. I live in the Bay Area. I don't sound like it. I grew up in New Zealand, uh, spent a long time in Australia, uh, and I've been with SHL for several years. I just got to say, I thought you were from the East Bay. <laughs> it's only it's only a, it's a Bay joke if you're not from the Bay Area. That's just between you and I. That is between us. We don't even know what that means. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining. And so tell us a little bit more, a bit more about your journey first, and then we'll jump into SHL and the talent acquisition solution. So you're here, but you're from there. Tell us how that happened. So grew up in uh, so grew up in New Zealand. My first career was actually in professional sport. I was a cricketer. I was a cricketer of all things. Uh, really? That, that was yeah, uh, yes, uh, technically true. That was curtailed a little bit through injury. And so uh, when I was an injured cricketer, I had to find a job. And so I sort of scrambled to find a job uh, and started. And that actually turned out out to be a career in banking and finance. Uh, so worked in banking and finance for a, a number of years until uh, 2008, which you'll recall was a bad year for banking and finance. So I had to find some other options. And uh, have worked sort of since in and around um, sort of helping HR teams, amongst others, work on improving their function and uh, sort of transforming what they're doing. Well, let's talk more about that. Uh, and by the way, cricket is fascinating. I don't really understand it. How did you get in? And, and I don't mean this to be disparaging at all. How did you get injured in cricket? Uh, so, so bowling, the, the action of bowling, which is the which is a more sophisticated version of pitching, is not good for your back. You run quite fast for a little bit, and then you twist your back and contort yourself into a number of different ways. And so back injuries are pretty common for anyone who does bowling and cricket. Interesting. Back in 2018, it was in Australia. And I remember it was in Perth and I was watching cricket on TV and was, I just was mesmerized. I'm like, I don't understand anything that's happening right now, but but it was fascinating. Now let's talk about our staff, talent acquisition staff. So talk about the solution, the talent acquisition solution. Tell us more about it and, and what are you helping organizations with today? Kind of big picture. What are some of the main challenges that you're helping them overcome today? Yeah, sure. Well, I think um, our customers are getting outcomes in probably four different areas. I think firstly, it's quality of hire. So our solutions focus on predicting performance and understanding 
potential. That could be for a specific role that you might have, but also over time, I think people are using our insights to understand careers and career paths and making multiple decisions about talent over the course of a career. The second one is efficiency. So generally speaking, that's time to hire. So crucial in this market where getting good candidates off the market quickly is really important. So companies are using us for that. That can also be use of internal nobility or cost of hire stuff as well. The third one is diversity, which is probably a two-parter. One is just having quality tools. We have more than 300 people scientists in our organization who really focused on building quality assessment tools and interviews and sort of bringing structure and rigor to the interview process. Now, all of our customers get that for free as such, but in terms of diving into that specifically, it, it enables our customers to maybe widen the net of where they might source candidates from um, and not be barraged with volume when they do it. Right? And so it's a, it's a risk-free approach to accessing new sources of diverse candidates rather than fishing in the same pools that they have previously. So giving tools to be able to scale that is, is really important for our customers. Lastly, and, and I guess importantly for this conversation and candidate experience in general is, is engagement. And I think we've moved beyond just the job to be done of assessing a candidate and we're getting more into how do we increase their engagement and advocacy? How can we be a really strong moment of truth inside the recruiting process? How can we help candidates learn about the job about the culture, about the interview process, about themselves, importantly. And so a combination of all of those four outcomes is what our solution and platform gets to. This now, it seems, it sounds very comprehensive. I want to touch on the, the quality of hire just briefly and then come back to the last one about engagement. Cause I'm just curious, cause that's always been like the holy grail, right? To help companies improve quality of hire. And what does that mean? And when companies themselves are those who at least have tried to assess what that means and how they would actually, how they qualify being a qualified candidate and that quality. How are you doing? What's the data behind it? And, and how are you helping them to predict that? It's more, it's predictive as well as, but are you, is there a follow-up later on to connect those dots or? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, it's really important that we close the loop in terms of what that quality means, because also the definition of performance will change over time as well. Right. But I think if you put it in its And per term, role too, right? Definitely, definitely per role. And that's where like, what is that? What, what is the definition of quality of hire, right? If it's more sales, great, then we'll measure more sales. If it's reduced absenteeism, then we can measure that. If it is a decrease in safety incidents on the job, then we can measure that as well and making sure that we're crafting the right solution for those outcomes, depending on what quality means and also what quality might mean in the, in the whole funnel as well. So making sure that we're attracting those candidates that can be a quality hire as well as shortlisting them and then as well as learning how to select them as well. That's fantastic. Now, now talk about the advocacy a little bit more in the engagement and how are you helping to impact that the, the candidate experience side through that part of the platform? And the solution. Yes. So I think one of the things where there's a great opportunity is to make sure that candidates are always able to learn and understand what it is that they're going for in terms of a specific role or in terms of a company that they want to work at. It's never been easier to apply for a job, which is great. The ATSs, generally speaking, have done a very good job. You know, yes, they all work on a mobile. They don't ask 100,000 questions. Uh, you can link up and put your CV in or resume in via Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever else, right? And so the friction to actually apply for a job has gone right down. The downside of that is that people apply for more jobs. And so how do you stand out in that post-application phase, right? And so if I've applied 
for 10 jobs. You know, some, some of the data I know we're talking to um, some of our team in Singapore and, you know, the stats there, Singapore graduates generally apply for more than 15 graduate programs, right? How do you stand out amongst 15 different employers, right? You need to make sure that you've got touch points along the way and those candidate experiences are consistent along the way. And so SHL can provide that opportunity of, of interactive learning, not just downloading of information, right? So less blasting of employer brand messages and more, okay, like, is this role right for me? Let's put some interactivity into that to make sure that I can self-select into this role, into this culture, into this company, and then also sort of learn about, you know, how might I be a good fit? How might I use my strengths in this particular role so that I can get more excited out of for that job out of the 15 that I've applied for? And when I talk to my friends at the pub, I'm saying, you know what? I really want to work at X uh, because A, they've gotten back to me with a task where I can learn, not they've just left me in the ether for a week. And in that week, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to go apply for other jobs, right? And so it's a matter of sort of maintaining that engagement where a recruiting team can't necessarily scale to come back to me straight away and, and answer all my questions and help me learn. That's where our technology platform can do that, as well as sort of making sure that they're a really good fit for the role. Is that across job types or are you, is there a sweet spot for you in regards to the type? Absolutely across job types. I mean, this is, this is the, this is the fascinating stuff, right? So if you're a shelf stacker or an on de- demand delivery driver or a lamp stack engineer, these are all, you know, you're wanting different things out of learning what that culture looks like, right? If I'm a full stack engineer and I'm relatively in demand as a full stack engineer, I want to hear from the CTO about, you know, hey, this is the evolution of, of our tech stack and this is how we run. This has been our transition to agile or this is what we're doing in DevOps or whatever it is because that's the nitty-gritty that I want to get and I don't want to wait a week to hear that from a recruiter for them to try and sell me like I will I kind of want that level of detail now and so being able to give that realistic preview of a job and a culture is really important and then and and we can do that at scale because that activity is not happening nine to five when a recruiter is at their desk it's happening on a Thursday night once I've finished the rest of my work that I was <laughs> that I was trying to get to and it's hard enough even though we're still kind of in fits and starts I mean some industry have fared okay in the past year, year and change because of COVID. And some have obviously, as you know, have been decimated. And now we're kind of figuring out how to come back and go back to work, quote unquote, even though, again, recruiting and hiring hasn't necessarily stopped. And it's kind of like a mixed bag recovery compared to the Great Recession. But companies have made it easier for candidates to apply. That's been a positive in, in our data and research for the candidate experience, but it's also for any company of of any hiring volume, that's been a lot more applicants. So to be able to help the candidates better self-select out, right? Because that's a lot of, of individuals and you know the reality. The reality is, is that for any given job, most of the candidates, and in our research, it's over 60%, tell us that they're researching and they're applying and that's as far as they get. That's the end of the road for them, right? And that's limited experience can cut either way and it usually cuts negative because A, they're auto-responding messages or nothing at all. They're just not, there's nothing over time. We had on, on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, a guy in the UK who was who lost his role? He was a recruiter. He lost his role in the uh, sort of post-COVID, and he applied. and He knows how to apply for a job because he's a recruiter, and he applied for 400 roles. and He got feedback beyond the canned auto reply from maybe seven percent of those. Yeah, and he, I was going to say, and that's probably high. And that, that was high. The personalized feedback and you know the interactive feedback of that was actually, was actually one percent. I mean, that must have been, I would assume, for being more screened assessed beyond just application because nobody's getting feedback at the point of app not usually 
they're not getting feedback. Well, you say usually, Kevin, that that's the challenge that we wanted to throw ourselves into as well and, and sort of partly um, informed by some of the stuff that you've done and your research reports or you and your team have done in the research reports because we, and, and this is during COVID and we're all, you know, we're a global business and we're trying to think, we really like fell in love with this problem quite a bit, which is like, how do we, you know, we, we can play a role here in turning what turned out to be 7% or 1% into 100%, right? And so one of the things, if you get back to your, your sort of question earlier around engagement is we're in a unique spot because we actually have a little bit of insight on the candidate because we've got this data asset and we can, you know, that is very rich and predictive. And so what we did is we combined a couple of things, but long, long story short is, is now and just in the last month or so, we've launched um, personalized video feedback. And so breaking those things now, personalized, it says, rather than say, dear applicant, thank you for applying, it will send you a link to a video. It'll say, dear Kevin, the video will say, dear Kevin. So we'll insert your name uh, as text and voice into the video at the intro. It will then, based on what the company wants to communicate with you, it might say, dear Kevin, great, you were at step two out of five, or dear Kevin, thanks for applying, or dear Kevin, whatever it is. You've got the option to include the strengths that we saw in your application automatically there to say, hey, Kevin, looks like you're a great innovator. That, that could be really good at our company because we're doing innovation over here, 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 and here, right? now." you can stitch that together personalized video i mean everyone spends everyone but a lot of people spend time on instagram reels instagram stories youtube TikTok, etc etc video is a really common medium of how people want to be communicated to and so rather than send people a pdf we're like we'll, we'll make you a video and we'll make it personal to to you and so we are ramping that from one percent to a hundred percent but also giving the companies the opportunity to communicate those brand messages and, and and importantly per your research right communicate to them where they are in the process because if i'm lost if i'm lost and i'm like i don't know is someone going to call me tomorrow with like a perfect offer or are they going to send me an email in three months or somewhere in between and, and that variation in experience is is sort of really tough but providing that that sort of personalization but at scale so if you get 30,000 applicants this month then we'll, we'll, we'll send 30,000 personalized videos which a recruiter can't do right exactly you know the top 10 candy winners in North America last year and this is true with the smaller subsets in our other regions that we captured the data in but they're all giving feedback to finalists on some level and there's other companies that didn't win candies that are doing that too so I want to be clear about that it's never the one thing right because there's always all these other variables it's the combination of if they're doing this they're also doing these things too. And they're also expectation setting. They're also telling the candidates where they're at in the process and there's definitive closure and the list and then it cascades out. That's why they have net promoter scores. I mean, in a research that we do where it's so heavily negative sentiment because the majority of them are rejected candidates. So to, to have net promoter scores is high. I mean, the highest candy winner had a candy score, as we call it, net promoter candy score of uh, 67, which is for us and our research, that's really high considering, again, that 90% of their candidates didn't get hired at the end of the day. Because the hired NPS is always, it should be above 50. It always should be because those are the people who got hired and there is this this halo effect and or it should even be higher than that. But that's great. That's, those are the things that they're doing. Let's shift gears a little bit then because we talk a lot. It was great to hear about how you're helping on the candidate side. What are you helping to free up for the on the recruiting side? What is, I mean, maybe this is in the form of the technology technology itself, the, the reporting that they get. Um, and even if you have a case study example, even if you can't mention the company or not, how are you helping the employer side then really kind of free up the time to engage the candidates? Yeah, I think freeing up that time and making sure that recruiters spend their time wisely is critical. You know, I think it would be pretty easy to go on the internet uh, and find a any sort of stat that says the number of recruiters is 
down on last year but if the number of applicants is up then you know that that's that's math that doesn't doesn't quite compute right so the role of a recruiter has just been piled onto over the last years you know they have to close candidates and they have to talk about a brand and they have to have a diverse set of candidates and they have to coach hiring managers and they have to schedule interviews and all that so again huge empathy for the variety of tasks that a recruiter has to do i think in terms of the value there from a from a transactional point of view it's putting the right insights into the right hands at the right time for the right set of candidates right and so that is making sure, you know, the integrations and the automations work, right? And so I want to be looking when I'm in my ATS, like in high volume stakes, we, you know, coming onto our platform is not the right thing to do. Integrating into, you know, working in line into your ATS is absolutely what needs to happen. And so those scores and reports need to be in where you do the work, in the flow of work, right? That would be the first comment, making sure that those insights pass pass through. But then sort of to sort of drill out from that, um, to make sure those insights are actionable, both for a recruiter and a hiring manager, so that whatever that next phase is, be it a video interview or a first round interview or a late stage interview, you're getting the right insights at the right time to have the right conversation. But I wanted to probably go, because you'd mentioned a case study or, or, or an example, I probably wanted to go one further in terms of, well, what do these insights insights add up to from an analytics point of view and a value point of view, right? And I'll give you a recent example. One company that we work with had spent a lot on their employer brand around them being innovative, right? So like, hey, we are an innovative company and we're going to tell all of our candidates that we're innovative. So you should come and work for us. Makes sense. And the good news was because we can we can measure things like innovation potential through some of our assessments, we looked at their data, their candidate flow and we said, actually, you know what? The candidates that are coming in the door actually do show a little bit of innovation potential. This is fantastic. Great. Well, well done. And then we looked looked into the data a little bit more and we said, oh, actually, there's, there's, there's something that you should know. At the late stage of interviews, like final interviews, you're actually screening out a lot of the highest innovation potential candidates. And so the answer wasn't like, you know, change the assessment or do this or do that. It was more like, um, have you... Are you helping hiring managers to spot innovation? Are you structuring your interviews to value innovation? Because you, you, you don't want to spend all that money at the front end, get in the right candidates, but then screen them out because the interview process might not have the right structure to it, right? And so actually to get ROI out of your innovation branding, the right answer was to you know train hiring managers on interviewing <laughs> around innovation questions, right? Which doesn't seem like the natural thing to do, but it turns out that the data could tell us that, right? And that's not... It's not technically the business that we're in, but the insights that you can aggregate when you look at the benchmarks that we have and the insights that we can provide, those are the kinds of things that make a difference for companies in terms of getting ROI around where they spend their time. You know, it's Sam, it's not easy what we've seen in our data too for companies to sustain that over time because there's so many things that impact the business of recruiting and hiring. Who plans for a pandemic? That's number one. Then you've got changes on the leadership team, changing priorities, new products and service launch one day you're surge hiring, the next day you're freezing hiring. You know, if you're merging with another company, being acquired by another company, acquiring another company, I mean, all these things, what we found is that even the highest consistent candy winners over time, it's just really, it's a pretty small universe to sustain that year after year after year, any changes and improvements. Now with partners like you, it makes it a lot easier, but I would argue that it's what we see in the data though, that it is, it is, it's tough for companies. And, and sometimes, you know, prior do shift and change. I mean, we, we've been hearing it, right, for decades now. What's the C-suite says our top priorities are people. Well, we know how that's varied. <laughs> Over the years, the reality, but I do think that this past year and a few months has been probably more transformative in the world of work of where we are today and where we're going than than ever before, than anything, even in the past, I don't know, maybe potentially 50, 100 years. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how 
your platforms such as yours, technology such as yours continue to, because companies are going to have to lean on them a lot more because they are going to be leaner on team-wise, but it is pretty exciting. So Sam, tell us something top secret. I I promise I won't tell anybody of uh, just me and you of what's coming. What, what, what are you excited about the second half of this year? Let me buy myself a little bit of time on that one, Kevin, because, because I wanted to give you a couple of examples because I think what you've spoken about just earlier there on that sort of being agile and being able to transform is really important because I want to give you three examples that I thought of when you mentioned that because I think it's really important. One is the shift to remote work. And so we've seen in, in terms of studying behaviors and, and the characteristics of sort of, you know, sort of roles and companies in remote work that it requires, you know, a, a different skill set, right? To both have potential for and, and execute in a remote work environment. So that would be one thing where we've got that data, we can see that across the globe and we can interrogate that to understand the drivers of remote work potential, which is great. The second one related to maybe technology is because technology roles are changing so much uh, and there's a lot more fluidity in terms of tech stacks and whatever else that understanding someone's ability to program well in you know, React.js or whatever is, is great but understanding their capabilities generally and their potential overall to handle change, to learn in an agile way, et cetera, et cetera, to execute is, is even more important. So soft skills as well as hard skills. And then for the third one would be for sales, right? Sales is now a remote profession. People are buying remote. People will be saying no to in-person visits even after they're well vaccinated down the track. And that means different things for how salespeople need to operate that means different things for how they need to work with their marketing function. And so some of the work that we've done is to making sure that we can understand the changing potential of salespeople, knowing that previously companies might say, I need salespeople in the New York tri-state area that have industry experience in financial services. Now the talent pool is actually, you know, North America and all its time zones. Um, And so there's a flood of applicants there. So understanding potential of both the existing market, but then what it means to do that in a remote environment, I think is really important. So hopefully that was helpful. No, it was very helpful. And I can tell you, we just did a kind of a a small mini survey recently. We did these last year too, through from spring through summer that the, you know, just kind of 10 questions asking companies in our candy community of of how they're dealing, how COVID's impacting their recruiting and hiring, et cetera. And we just did another one and we'll continue with a series through the summer probably of how they plan on going back to work. And what we found, this is about just over 100 companies that responded. Again, just a small set, but it was interesting to hear that uh, almost half of 50% were probably going to have some combination of mostly remote and some on-site. Now that's, of course, as you know, is going to vary what what industry I'm in, what kind of person-facing business that I'm in that, you know, Obviously, not everybody can work remotely, right? Essential workers can't. You've got people that have um, have to be on, on in the office, in the store, in the plant, and the list goes on. But I saw numbers recently, though, not in our data, but it kind of aligned with this, is that, you know, it was really a much smaller number of people who actually worked remotely up until this last year. And now it's it potentially is upwards of in the... 40 to 50 percent potentially the uh, different hybrids and you know how it's also going to impact competitiveness of, of finding the right people because individuals who have flexible opportunities and who want to stay remote that and and ha- can do it right like technical professionals and others we've heard of you know companies that are mandating everybody come back and they're like i'm not coming back because i just got this offer over here and good luck to you there's a lot we don't know right in, in terms of what that looks like one of the things i'm fascinated about and this is this is probably this sort of gets even more macro is what what does that mean for real estate um because it isn't office space as well as real estate well yeah but 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 also like i 
it's saying saying that your hybrid is that good because aren't you then saying well you know what you have to live in a location that m might cost a lot to live in and you have to have a workspace at home where you can work two days a week but you also have to come into the office as well and so is that the worst of both worlds because if i'm in if i'm paying san francisco rent but i need that extra space at, at my house but then i've got to come in like <laughs> how do i balance you know like just location of where i live right versus if i if I can be remote, then you know what? I can get an extra bedroom. I don't need to be within commuting distance and I don't need to be in the office. So there's some fascinating stuff too. It is. And then you start getting into pay disparity though on how the differentials. Anyway, <laughs> it is. You just keep peeling it back. So so now tell me something top secret. I think in terms of top secret stuff. Well, I mean, the, the uh, first thing I'd say is that there's a lot. And so some of the stuff that we're doing at SHL is more around what, you know, what do we say no to versus what we do do. Um, and so if I can make a plug, if you're passionate about doing this in this space, we are hiring. My phone number is 415-712-5247. Uh, call me. Uh, you know, we are, we are hiring good people that are passionate about solving these problems. If I were to narrow it down a bit, I think let me give you the theme around, especially around candidate experience. SHL is led led the industry led the globe and in, in psychology as a science right it is a profession it has got all the ecosystem of academia around it so on and so forth and we have proudly led the way there what we want to do is make sure that we can bring some of that rigor and it's not the same thing but we want to bring some of that rigor into the experience as well and, and almost treat the experience like a science as well and so to treat the candidate experience like a science you need you need data you need a culture of iteration and analytics and testing and hypotheses and, and all of those types of things, right? And so we want to we want to bring that into it. And so we've got a long list of that. I'll give you one because telling you one thing is an aberration. Telling you two might get me a nasty email. But, uh, <laughs> Tell, but, me, uh, one. Tell but, me one. Tell me one. One of those things. Might, so, so it might be A-B testing, right? Um, so A-B testing would say, all right, we might not know what the optimal candidate experience is uh, for a particular new role or whatever it is. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we launch two versions of it on a Monday, let the data play out, and then on Friday, if, you know, depending on the volumes and all that kind of stuff. On Friday, let's pick them. Great. Let's optimize the experience for that, right? And so that might be something as simple as when we do the intro video, uh, do people like the recent graduate who just got promoted on a grainy footage in, you know, from grainy footage in their bedroom? Or do they like the polished CEO video that says, you know, our four principles are this or that, whatever, right? We need to be open to the fact that people might actually prefer to hear from the recent graduate because that's more real and that's more relevant to that particular candidate going for the role. So, but let's see, right? If the if the CEO gets an 80 MPS and the other one gets a 40 MPS, then well, let's go with the CEO, but it, but it could be vice versa, right? And then we can do that with lots of parameters around the candidate experience in terms of, Length of time, number of videos, you know, video interview, three questions, video interview, six questions. Got to be careful around making sure that the that the rigor and the science of the selection is still there. But all of the stuff around it, you can play with that stuff. And rather than candidate experience being something that we get to every whatever number of months or quarters and we change something and then leave it and set and forget, let's iterate. You know, I don't know. We, we might not know what the answer is. We can tell you now because we're getting benchmarks of that to say, well, look, if you include a six minute video, then you're likely to get people who don't watch six minutes of video. But if you include a 90 second video, you're going to get this uptake because that's what we've seen in your industry or for those roles. Sam, that's that. It's fascinating because it's, it is talk about getting granular and peeling onions and all the, the every single interaction, however brief, whatever the length, whatever that situation is, impacts our perception of that experience. So, and it's, it is fascinating to be able to, to understand what that combination looks like. Cause you know, every year we dig a little bit deeper into our candy research and we know that there's, you know, there are combinations of things that drive 
more positive sentiment and a higher level of perceived fairness, which is still subjective, highly subjective. But it, but we know these things. We see them. They happen. And those candidates, I mean, you know, when a third of, of the candidates in our data, when most most of those don't get hired, are still willing to refer others, extremely willing to refer others. Massive opportunity. Yeah, that, that's a lot of consumers and, you know, candidates as consumers and all that kind of stuff. Huge opportunity, but being sort of being able to say, these people aren't going to get the result that they want, but they'll still advocate for my brand and they'd go around and do it all over again. And, and that's because they've they've learned, they've felt in control of the decision. It's been interactive and they've learned something about themselves. Like that's good value for their time. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Sam, this has been a great conversation and, and I, man, we could totally keep talking, but in wrapping up this particular session and this, this podcast, we're always working all the time, right? Sam's always working. I'm always working. Our teams are always working, but what else does Sam like to do? What else do I like to do? Um, uh, I think, I mean, the obvious one is spend time with my family. Uh, I have, I have four kids, uh, four young kids. They are the center of my life. Um, they, they love podcasts. I don't think they'll get this far into this podcast, Kevin. They tend to switch off after about a minute of me talking. But, uh, but if they did get this far, great. Uh, but that's all me, not you. Uh, so definitely my kids, uh, and my family. Um, I think, you know, I live in Marin County. So it's like part of the, you know, you, you have to like the outdoors. Uh, and I do. But if I'm indoors, then, then reading. Love to, uh, consume a lot of books and, and re- read about stuff that, uh, from people much, much smarter than I. Uh, I do that all the time. We're lifelong learners, right? I mean, always, we're always learning, no matter how smarty pants we think we are. There's so many more things to learn and understand. And yeah, I agree with you. I'm an avid reader too. And love the outdoors. Our family likes to do that because we're in the the other end of the Bay Area from where you are. But, you know, you've got the coast, you've got the redwoods. Come on. Can't ask for anything else. Well, Sam, thanks again for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. It was a great conversation. And maybe someday in the near future, we'll be able to see each other in person again, right? I would, uh, I would look forward to that. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.